So today, as, as you guys noticed, we're, we're starting a new series, um, very, very much in line with, uh, with the Christmas holiday, and um, I'm going to move this before I become some sort of trending YouTube video, me falling and breaking something. Okay. Um, we're starting this new series, uh, we're calling it The Gift Exchange, and it's really, we're really basing this around the premise of the idea, obviously at Christmas time, right, there's this, there's this uh, tradition of exchanging gifts. And um, we probably all have very different family traditions of, of how we exchange those gifts. Um, for our family, there's been seasons where we've um, drawn names. There's been times that we've traded names. Um, and you would just buy for one person. You would buy for everybody. There's, I know sometimes at work they do a thing called Secret Santa, right? Where you get a name of somebody and they don't know who it is and you buy them a gift. Um, but I would say probably in recent years, the most popular by far and the most exciting way to do a gift exchange is what has been come, which has come to be known by several names, uh, White Elephant, Dirty Santa, Yankee Swap, and probably about 300 other names, right, that people have called it. But the basic idea is this. Everybody brings a gift. Typically, it's a certain amount of money, uh, $5, $10 gift, something like that. Um, and they don't label it. They don't write who brought it. They don't write what's in it. But they just all put them together, and then uh, everybody gets a number. Uh, and uh, you just go in order uh, of the numbers, picking out the gift you want. Now, after the first person goes, uh, everybody else can either decide do they want to get a gift off the table, or do they want to steal a gift or take a gift from somebody else that has already picked their gift. And it's a really like, fun, exciting thing. And I remember um, we did this a couple of years ago. We've done it several times, but a couple of years ago we were playing this uh, with our family uh, from Bedrock Church in Roanoke uh, with the leadership team there. And I remember that night, um, it's kind of cool. Like, if you're ever playing and you're married, it's really fun to play that together because you can kind of team up to get the gift that you really want. And so typically when you play, there's a few gifts that everybody really wants. And there's usually a few gifts that everybody, nobody really wants, right? Um, but, but this year, uh, Nicole and I were playing, and the gift that we wanted, and don't judge us for this, um, but the gift we really wanted was the Home Alone 1 and 2 movies, right? Uh, it was like a double pack of the Home Alone movies, and so we were like, this will be awesome. Like, we'll get these, and we'll be able to, like, because I remember as a kid watching them, and this whole nostalgic moment, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so we were playing, and we were tag teaming, and, and the way we played was that you could... Uh, there was a certain number of times that you could trade a gift before that gift was no longer tradable. You couldn't trade it anymore. And I think the number we had that night was three. And so we did on this, uh, between Nicole and I, we, we had it like, it had been traded twice. And then somebody stole it from us, right? And we were just like, we, we were heartbroken, right? We were heartbroken. We must have been heartbroken. And the reason I say that was like a week and a half later, we get this package in the mail from, from UPS with no name on it, not, no return address, but it's just the Home Alone 1 and 2 movie. So people must have seen the disappointment <laughs> in our face um, when we did that. Now let me just say, uh, we watched that movie uh, before we were going to let the kids see it, and we just realized, like, man, there's some things you really yeah. miss when you were a kid. And so our kids are yet to see that movie. Um, but, you know, this idea of gift exchange, it's very popular this time of year. But in our series, in our time together, we're going to look at it from a much more important aspect. Not of just giving gifts, but ultimately, as Jesus came as the ultimate gift, right? We're going to look at this concept of the things that we bring to him and what he exchanges in our lives. What he gives us instead. And so, um, just as a very basic premise, uh, we bring our brokenness to him, right? Our, our ashes, our just, our just brokenness 
And in return, Jesus gives us this beautiful gift in return. We take on his righteousness. And so we're going to really, over the next four or five weeks, we're really going to just kind of expand on what all it is that he has given us. And as a guide for that, as a way to kind of help us to synchronize that, uh, we're going to focus around a passage in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, this passage is probably uh, one of the most uh, popular um, Christmas passages in the Old Testament. This is, uh, in fact, it's even so popular, the way that I memorized it as a kid was, it has been turned into a song. <clears throat> These names of Jesus, this prophecy about what the Messiah would be like. And so, um, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 gives us a list of names of the Savior that is to come. And so each week we're going to look at, at a different name that he's called and see how he brings us something in exchange for the brokenness and the things that we have in our life. And so I'm really, really excited uh, to be able to look at this together. Uh, now, we'll tell you this morning, uh, to, this morning's going to kind of act as our kind of background setting message for the next four or five weeks. And so we're going we're gonna to take some time because I don't want to just jump right into this passage without any context, right? If we, if we don't ever understand the context behind why Isaiah is making this prophecy and what he's talking about, we're going to really miss a lot of the richness and the deepness um, that's to be found here. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the background of this. And so I'll just tell you today, just to kind of set the pace, if you're here this morning, um, we are going to be turning to a lot of scriptures. And so typically, I would encourage you to turn to each one of the scriptures in your, in your own copy of God's Word. I would, that's why we have Bibles in the back if you need those. Um, but today, we're going to be hitting a lot of verses. And so just to let you know, they will be up on the screen this morning um, because we're going to hit them pretty quickly because there's a whole lot of background stuff <clears throat> that needs to go into the picture before we get to Isaiah chapter 9. There's a whole lot that builds up to this idea of the Messiah and who Jesus was going to be when he comes into the world. Like there's a whole lot that goes into that uh, and there's a whole lot of scriptures that talk about that. And we're not going to even scratch the surface really this morning on on all of the prophecies and all of the scriptures that go into that, but we're going to cover a whole lot of those. And so uh, I'd like for us just to start uh, with a word of prayer because I know there's, this is too big of a task to undertake without uh, God's Spirit leading us in that. So let's, let's pray and then we're going to jump right into uh, looking at Isaiah. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you again for the time that we can gather, God. We, as it's already been prayed this morning, we're grateful to have a a roof over our heads, God, not only a roof, but also a warm place to meet and to fellowship and to be encouraged by your word this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would move and guide each one of us as we uh, spend time today looking at your word. God, we know that this is centuries upon centuries of, God, you working and moving to build up to this moment and centuries upon centuries after that, building up to the moment that you would send your son into the world. And so, Father, this is not a light task that we're undertaking this morning, but I pray that you would give us the grace and the understanding uh, to see what you are, what you were doing, God, when you gave this prophecy to Isaiah, what you were building toward. And so I just pray that we would be um, prepared for that this morning. Uh, God, I pray that your spirit would teach us this morning in our time together. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the book of Isaiah, I'm going to get a sip of coffee on that note because... Um, we're about to roll. Okay, Isaiah um, was written somewhere about 600 years before Jesus came onto the scene. That's important to realize that this is a prophecy. Isaiah is writing about events that have not happened yet. And so Isaiah is, is going to be telling us about the Messiah that's coming. 
Isaiah um, has been called by many the greatest prophet. Um, a lot of people just acknowledge like he is a superb master of the languages. Um, for those of you that enjoy beautiful rolling cadences and marvelous literary passages, you will enjoy this book for that reason alone, right? Uh, Isaiah is just is, is just an expert as as he writes in this beautiful, uh, creative type of way. But more importantly than all of that, Isaiah is also the fullest revelation of Christ in the Old Testament. So much so that commentators will call this the gospel according to Isaiah. Because Isaiah's prophecy is just filled with pictures of what the Messiah is going to be like, who he's going to be, and what he's going to be like. Very quickly, the purpose of the book of Isaiah is to declare the good news of God. It's, it's to let God's people know that there is good news coming. And that good news is going to come through the Messiah, a, pr- a promised one that's going to ultimately bring peace between God and sinful man. That's what he's writing the book to let us know about, that God's ransomed people, right? That, he, that one day there's going to be one that's going to come and it's going to right all of the wrongs. And so Isaiah starts to build this case throughout his prophecy. And as we get to to chapter 8, we'll be in chapter 9 today, but as we get to chapter 8, I want to kind of give us just a little bit of the immediate context, right? It's a bit of bad news. In fact, it's a whole lot of bad news as we get to chapter 8 because because through Isaiah's prophecy, he's telling God's people that the Assyrians are going to come in and they're going to wipe them out. They're going to carry them off into exile. Things are going to get bad and it's coming. And it's not coming for no reason. It's coming because God's people were unfaithful to him. But God in his infinite sovereignty and grace is showing them incredible kindness to warn them that this is coming. That's the first half of chapter 8. The second half of chapter 8 is an encouragement for them to wait on the Lord. Even in the midst of things, as bad as things are going to get, continue to wait on the Lord. Continue to be rooted and steadfast in him because ultimately he's going to bring your deliverance. Prophet Isaiah brings Israel warning that things are going to get bad. But he says, do not fear, right? And I think for us to truly understand that, we have to try to put our minds, our, our hearts and our minds in the place that, that it would mean for the Israelites, the people that Isaiah was writing this letter to. And I think it's really hard for us to understand that today because we live in, such, uh, in a country that we have so much freedom, and so the idea of another country, of another power coming in and, and, and invading us really almost seems like a fantasy for a lot of us, doesn't it? Like, like in my own mind, I can't think of what it would be like to live under another country that, that's coming in and, and taking over this land that I've grown up in. Um, but that's the image that Isaiah is, is painting here. It really gives us the picture of a prisoner of war. Right? I think that's the idea is that, 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 that there's coming a day in the future where Israel is going to be carried off and that they're going to be taken captive because of, their, because of their sin. And that's the bad news. That's, that's Isaiah chapter 8 is to say, get ready. It's coming. Things are going to be really, really bleak for a while. But stand firm in the Lord because there's a hope of something. There's a hope. Of something greater. And that hope comes in chapter 9. And that's where we're going to be hanging out uh, the rest of this morning. And really for the rest of this series coming back to is Isaiah chapter 9. And that's a picture of this hope. It's a picture of this good news. And Isaiah breaks up um, just to kind of our preceding context. Uh, verses 1 through 5. 
is telling us about the good news. And ultimately, this good news is going to look like there's going to come a time of peace. There's going to come a time when the war is over. There's going to come a time when, when all of this is over, and then there's going to be great news of peace. And in Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verses 1 through 5, help us to see what that looks like, to see what this peace looks like. And then Isaiah 6 is going to focus on who it is that's going to bring this peace, who it is that's going to ultimately bring the peace. Now, the other piece that we need to understand is that uh, as a prophetic book, as this, as this book is written, it's got both a historical aspect to it, but it's also got a very spiritual aspect to it. So it's kind of a dual purpose. So yes, Isaiah is writing about what's going to happen to the Israelites and, and about the Assyrians that are going to come in and invade them. And the Assyrians were some bad dudes. Like, they were some bad dudes. Um, but ultimately, it, it points us to a spiritual place where, where one even worse than the Assyrians have come and they have captured our hearts and our affections. They've come and they have stolen our, our love and our desire for, for God alone. And they've, and they've taken us captive in that. And so that's the picture here. So I just want to make sure we understand that this, that while this is talking about uh, what's happening in this moment in Isaiah's, uh, when Isaiah's writing this, it's also talking about a future and ultimate picture of Jesus and for each one of us. And so let's look quickly um, at verses 1 through 5. I think they do help us to um, kind of understand some of the context. So what I want to do is I'm going to kind of read through these and, and just kind of explain a little bit of what Isaiah is talking about. So starting in verse 1, it says this. But there will be no gloom for her, her who was in anguish, right? So just preceding this idea of you're going to be taken into captivity and, and this other nation's going to take you over, but there's hope because there's coming a day when there will be no gloom and no anguish. For in the former times when all of this happened, right, um, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali but later in this later time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations so what is he talking about here well Naphtali uh, and Zebulun were, were two of the tribes um, of Israel right these were two tribes uh, and it's painting a picture but they were also two areas in Israel um, and they were also they, these two tribes for a while followed God but eventually they gave way um, as did the rest of Israel, um, to not following God. Uh, and so there was a point where they, were, where they were under this oppression, they were taken over. But he's saying there's coming a later day that in this same area, the Jordan, the Galilee, the area of the Galilee, right? It's going to be a glory, something glorious is going to happen there, right? And for those of us that are readers of the New Testament, the Jordan, the Galilee area, right? That should trigger something in our minds, right? Where did Jesus do his ministry? In the Jordan, Galilee, right? That, that should trigger something in our minds that, that this was significant. Verse 2. For the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Again, when we, when we hear that word, we see that word, a great light, that should trigger in our minds what Jesus says about himself and about his church, that we are the light of the world, right? Verse 3, you have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. Again, there's coming a day of great joy, of great joy. Um, verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of 
for his shoulders the rod of his oppressors you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now this word yoke should, should in our minds point us to a point where Jesus talks about a yoke. Right? We just talked about that a couple weeks ago. Jesus talks about his yoke and how different his yoke is. Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's Matthew eleven thirty, Right? This picture of, of, um, of the Midianites where it talks about that. This is a reference back to the book of Judges where God takes a very inferior army with Gideon and beats this, this much superior army in the, in the strength and the power of the Lord. So all of these references, all of these uh, tiebacks, all these hyperlinks Isaiah's throwing in there to kind of say that, you know what, this is not just a secluded event that's coming, but this is really a story that started at cre- in the beginning of creation and is now painting its way all the way through the pages of, of our history. Verse 5, For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is a picture of um, what's going to happen one day. One day that all of the weapons of, of warfare, right? It talks about a, it talks about in here, it talks about these garments that are, that are, that have blood on them, right? That they're going to be burned, that no longer are we going to be under this oppression, it reminds me of what Ezekiel says uh, in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 9. He says this, Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make weapons, uh, make fire of their weapons and burn them, and shields and bucklers and bows and arrows and clubs and spears. They will make fires of them for seven years. The picture Isaiah is trying to paint for us is that there's going to come a day when we're no longer going to need these weapons. Because ultimately peace is going to reign. One day, one is going to come, and he's going to bring peace in a way that uh, none of us expect, none of us uh, are, are even looking for necessarily, but he's going to bring a peace in our lives. And so this is, this is the context that, that we find our passage that we're going to be focusing in on. And so for a lot of us, right, as, as I said a few minutes ago, a lot of us think that we Man, I can't. I don't know that I can relate to this. I don't like. I don't have an enemy, like like this, like Assyria that wants to literally enslave me. Right? For a lot of us, maybe we think that. I mean, I got some people that probably don't like me that may say some nasty things about me on social media or behind my back. But I don't know that I have an enemy that that wants to destroy me and enslave me. And and that's where I think we need to draw back to the point of Isaiah is picking up on a much deeper picture, right? He's talking. He's pointing us back to this idea that, as 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 children of God, we have an enemy. We have a spiritual enemy that wants to enslave us. This picture goes all the way back to the very beginning, right? When our spiritual parents in the garden decided that they were going to buy into the lie, right? To 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 believe that they could be like God, and so they they broke that relationship with God, right? And so this curse that that Isaiah is talking about. Um, this picture of oppression goes all the way back to that moment. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, God says a few things because of that, what's going to happen. Uh, first of all, he says in, in verse 19 that you uh, shall return to the ground, right? There's that, that curse, that picture that one day humanity is going to die, right? For all of us that have ever been born, there's coming a day when we're going to die, right? That was part of that, of that curse back in the beginning, Picking up on that thought, right, um, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, right, 
so also death through sin. And so death spread to all man because all is sin. It's this picture that for each and every one of us, death is part of our story. It's part of our narrative, right? It's, it's part of what the enemy has brought in. It's part of uh, the world in which we now live in. But not only was death the only curse, right? But there was also, in Genesis uh, 3, verse 23, God also sent Adam and Eve out of the garden. It's this picture of this separation between God and man. So not only is death part of the picture, but there's also this separation between God and his creator. You know, in the, in, in the, in the garden imagery of, of, of Eden, it's this picture not only of this beautiful place that we live, but it's also this space that God and man are perfectly in living together in harmony. And so because of sin, because of, because of the enemy, and because of the, the choice that humanity made to, to follow that, we're now separated, and there's a separation between us and God. And so all of that builds up to this place in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, right? It builds up to this picture of, so what, what's the plan, Right? What is God's plan to exchange this war that he's talking about for a peace? A peace between us and God. What's the plan for that? And the plan comes not in a what, but in a who we see in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. So what I would like us to do is I'd like us just to read this passage together. All of us um, together just because... Yeah, just because it's kind of fun when we do that together. So let's let's start in, in uh, the beginning. So, for to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is the picture. This is the, this is the, the plan. This is God's plan for not the what, but for the who that's going to ultimately bring the peace in each and every one of our lives that put our hope and trust in him, right? This is the picture. This is what Isaiah is pointing to, right? And it's interesting how he describes it, how he describes this this hope, this peace that we're going to have is a who. And so today we're going to look at three aspects of who this one is that's coming to bring peace. That's really where where we're going to go today. So first and foremost, we see that uh, he says that a child is born. A child is born, right? For to us, a child is born. Now, quickly, the us is, is in, in context, the Jewish people, right? The, the hope is going to come through them. But ultimately, it's not just for them. It's for the whole world. And so a child is going to be born, right? And commentators tell us that the imagery here that Isaiah is using to depict is to help us to see that this hope um, that this peace is going to come through a human being. That is the uh, that is the picture of Christmas. Is not just that that God came, but God wrapped him himself in flesh, right? He wrapped himself in humanity in order to be the peace that we needed, and that's the picture here. Probably, probably one of the uh, other most popular Christmas verses this time of year in the Old Testament is found in Isaiah chapter seven. Verse 14, this is another promise of what that, what that hope is going to be. Probably very familiar with this passage, but it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel, that means God with us, right? And so this one that's coming to bring peace in exchange for the war in our lives, right, the one that's coming to bring peace is, is not just going to be a what, it's going to be a who, and it's going to be God himself somehow wrapped in flesh, wrapped in humanity. That is the story and the picture of Christmas in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we see where the angel has come to Mary to tell her about this child, about this promised one that's going to bring peace. And notice what, he, what it says about him. It says, and the, angel of the, uh, and the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so in this picture, it's important that it's not just, just a human it's a God-man, perfectly God, perfectly man. And that's the, that's the picture that we have here. It's the picture that we have. Now, part of that, right, now, I don't want to certainly want us to, to make sure that we understand that, that, that Jesus, when he came, when he came as the Savior, when he came as uh, this picture in Christmas, he came as perfectly God, perfectly man, not, not, not one or the other. Right, uh, history is kind of filled with with people who have said, "Oh, well, he was this or he was that." But the picture we have in, most clearly in Scripture is that he was both God, but also man. Right to to experience all of that. And in order to happen, for that to happen, Jesus limited some of his uh, eternal prerogatives, if you would. Right, uh, in order to 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 wrap on flesh, as Paul would say in Philippians chapter two. Uh, verse 6 and 7, right? Jesus would have to set aside some of his uh, spiritual prerogatives, some of those entitled things that he had in order to experience humanity. Speaking of Jesus, he says this in verse 6, who, speaking of Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, right? He, he set aside some of the things that he was entitled to. Um, so that he could experience humanity by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the light, likeliness of man. He limited some of uh, his attributes so that he could experience humanity, right? And why was that important? Well, if he was going to be the sacrifice, if he was going to be the peace that we needed in our life, he had to walk the life that we lived. He had to be a substitute for us. So as, in, as we see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, for, he who, uh, for, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He needed to experience the full gambit of humanity in order to be our sacrifice, yet he did all of that without ever sinning. That is the, that is the picture of the child that is coming, the one that is coming First, a picture of humanity, the son of man, as he would be called. But secondly, Isaiah not only paints a picture of a child to be born, but also a son to be given. A son to be given, not just a son of man, but also a son of God. And in this reference, uh, commentators will, will tell us that this is a picture of, of his deity. Of his deity, that he is the son picture, right? Is, is a picture of inheritance. It's a picture of of him being the son of God that was sent. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, talks about what this was going to look like, prophesied about this. 
Starting in verse 7, it says this, I will tell the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod and dash them into pieces like the potter's vessel. It's a picture of, of not, this is not just a human, but this is also God wrapped, wrapped in flesh. Or as we see in, in, in the Gospel of John and his account of this moment, John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, And the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen Him, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is described here as not just a human, but also as, as God. And the same glory that, that, that dwells and that we describe God with was the same glory in which Jesus possessed, right? Ultimately, ultimately, right, that's the best way we can describe God is by his glory. And so as, as, as John is describing Jesus, the, the word that was going to come and take on flesh, he uses that same word glory clue the reader in that this is this is God. This isn't something separate. This isn't just a human being, but this is God coming in flesh. Or probably my favorite description of this is found in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. As the writer of Hebrews is describing Jesus, he says this. He says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint, right? It's, it's like the idea of if you're making an exact copy or or as back in the day they would take and they would put a put a signet ring on right and they would dip that into into some hot wax right and that 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 picture was of an exact imprint and so then they would take that and that would be the seal to verify that that belonged to the person who sent it right that's the picture here is that 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 one is coming that Jesus is going to be the exact is the exact imprint he's the exact same as God of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. This is, this is all pointing to the picture that, that God is going to send a Savior into the world. He's going to send one into the world that's going to be fully man and fully God. Right? That's this son reference in here. Son is given. But as we think about given, we think about gifts. Right? So here's what I want us to do. We've been pretty intense so far, right? We've been diving pretty hard into some Old Testament prophecies and things about Jesus. So I want us to take a minute, okay? And, and just with a couple people around you, okay? We don't have to get into big groups today if you just want to grab a couple people around you. Um, real quickly, just, just answer this question. What is the greatest gift you've ever been given? What is the greatest gift? Now, whether that was for Christmas, whether that was for a birthday, whether that was for a special occasion, whatever it was, right? Um, what is the best gift, the greatest gift? And we all know the answer is Jesus, okay? So I don't want to like, I don't want to say we put that aside. We know that's the right answer, Ian, right? We know that's always the answer, um, right? That's that's always going to get you a hundred on the quiz. Um, but aside from Jesus, what is the second greatest gift, right? Maybe that you've ever received, uh, maybe from another human being. Um, so let's take maybe a, a minute or two to discuss that, okay? And we're going to come back. And look at this idea of a gift being given to us by God. So not only is this a son, but, but in the language Isaiah uses to describe it, he says a son is given. This idea that this is going to be a gift. This is something that's going to be given to humanity, right? Uh, which reminds us probably of the most uh, popular verse in the New Testament, probably of all scripture that people have memorized, John 3.16, right? Which says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. All right. 
Oh, is it up there? Oh. I thought y'all were doing awesome. Memory. Yeah. Right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? This picture of, of, of the one that's coming, this is a picture of a gift that's given. And that's really going to be where we tie a lot of our uh, time in this, in this study looking at the Christmas season, looking at the ideas of gifts, is that this was a gift, right? It wasn't just that God sent um, or God even created uh, something, someone to, to fix our problem to, or to be our Savior, but it's that God gave himself to humanity as this gift, his only begotten Son, right? Um, or as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he, God, who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, right? It's this picture that God loved humanity, God cared for humanity so much that he gave his only son. He gave the greatest gift that humanity could ever need. Or as John says this in, in his letter, First John chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 14, he says this. You want to know what love is? This is what love is. Not that we love God because we can't, we're broken humanity, but that he loved us. And to show us that, the way he showed us that, is that he sent his son to be a propitiation. I wish we had time to go into that word. It's this beautiful picture, but it essentially means a substitute for our sins, a payment for our sins. So he goes on, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. But look at verse 14. And we have, test, we have seen and testified that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Not only was this going to be a gift, but ultimately this gift was going to bring what the world needed most, and that was to be saved. It's to bring salvation to a broken world. So here's what I want us to do is take a couple more minutes and discuss what does the world need saving from, right? I mean, I think it's... I think it's easy for us to set up here and say, okay, we live in a broken world, things are messed up, right? But when we think about the world needing a Savior to be saved from, right? what, what exactly does the world need saving from? What's broken? Talk in your groups about what's broken in the world and what needs saving. Because ultimately, this last picture we're going to get is, is going to be one of the Savior. So let's take a couple minutes, talk about that in our groups, and then we'll come back together. So it probably, it probably wouldn't take any of us by surprise to know that we live in a pretty messed up world, right? We live in a world that needs saving, and it's pretty obvious. Um, it doesn't take much interaction with the world around us to realize that things are not the way they should be. Relationships and the way that one person will treat another person, the way that we are all selfishly, inwardly caring about ourselves. And so God says that he's going to bring a gift. He's going to give a gift to the world. Right? And what does he tell us about this gift? If we continue looking at verse 6, this child that's going to be born, the son that's going to be given as a gift, and he says, And the government shall be upon his shoulders. It's a picture that a king has come. A king is coming. Right? 
the Messiah, this promised one, this one that would ultimately bring peace. And like we said a few minutes ago, it's it's kind of hard for us to understand what peace uh, to the idea of, of living in wartime today. But did you know that there are like 64 countries around the world right now that are engaged in some sort of war? that blow your mind? Like, that's kind of crazy. Such was the case when Isaiah writes. Such was the case when Jesus comes onto the scene in the first century, right? And the dominant power in that, in that, na- in that day was who? When Jesus came onto the scene. Who was the, who was the big dog? Rome. Well, God, yes. God, yes. It's always the right answer, right? But, but the earthly power was Rome, right? Rome was the one that was in control. And Rome, uh, they had a, a phrase for what peace looks like. It was called Pax Romana. Um, and really what it, what it meant was Roman peace, right? And the way in which they accomplished that Roman peace was that uh, Rome would squash all insurrection Anybody that, that rose up against Rome, they would, they would immediately destroy them. And that was how they would bring peace to their kingdom, to their nation. Um, but yet God is promising here that there's going to be another king that's coming. And he's going to bring peace, but he's going to bring it in a very different way. The one that's coming is going to be this promised Messiah. This one that would come and free people. Um, not just... Uh, not just from, from the nation being freed, but also spiritually freeing them from what was oppressing them. And so this word Messiah was a loaded, a loaded phrase uh, for them, right? Um, and it should be for us as well, right? It should be a promise. Even though we are not under the same sort of oppression that they were about to be in um, Isaiah's day, or even that they were under in Jesus's day, we know that we are all under oppression, right? We talked about that a few minutes ago, um, but yet God has, has a plan in order to bring this peace about, right? And we, we said that that plan is that he's going to bring his son. He's going to send his son into the world. And we see a picture of this all the way back in the very, very beginning, right? We talked a couple minutes ago about how sin came into the world and it brought death and separation to humanity, but in that same moment, God also gave us a picture of what would ultimately free us from that. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says this. He's speaking to the, the enemy, to the serpent, and also to the woman. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring, right? That word offspring there. And he will bruise, uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's this, this picture Right? And in the Greek is this called the proto angelium. It means the, the pre gospel picture. Even back in the very beginning, God had a picture and a plan for how he was going to free humanity. Even right after, right after that moment that humanity walked away from God, that they that they broke a relationship with God, God had a plan in place and ultimately there was going to come a offspring from a woman. One was going to come and that offspring was going to free humanity. Right, this picture is continued as we read through the gospel, or as we read through the Old Testament narrative. This promise, this picture, like in Genesis chapter twelve, right, where God is talking to Abraham, right, and He's giving him a promise. He's making a promise, a covenant with Abraham, and He says um, to Abraham, He says, "Go from your country and go into your father's house and the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you." And make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. 
And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Ultimately that picture of blessing was that the Messiah was going to come through Abraham's family. That was going to not just be a blessing for his family, but for the whole world. Right? Or we pick up in places like Jeremiah 23. Verses 5 through 6 that talks again about this. And there's, there's tons of places. We could probably spend the whole morning just going through references that talked about this promised Messiah that's coming. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David a righteous branch. Right, One's going to come not through just Abraham, but also now through David. He's going to be a righteous branch, and he's going to reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. Not only do we see this in the Old Testament, obviously we see it throughout the New Testament. And in the very last book of the New Testament, it talks about the one that's going to come and set us free. And this is in Revelation 19, verse 16. It says, in the, On that day, one's going to come, and on his robe and on his thigh... He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the promised one. This is the promised Messiah that is going to come into the earth and to ultimately bring freedom. Bring freedom. And so all of that is the backstory for us to understand who this one is that Isaiah is about to describe. Isaiah is going to describe him with, with several different names. It's going to describe this promised gift, this child, this God-man that, that, that's coming into the earth. And he's going to use a lot of these names to describe him. See, back in biblical times, a name was very significant. It was very important, right? A name didn't just, wasn't just a name that maybe you picked out of a book that you really liked, um, or it wasn't necessarily just a family name handed down, but, but a name was, was to reflect, if not prophesy, what a person would be like, who they would be, their characteristics of that person. We see throughout Scripture, even as names get changed, as God changes, uh, as, God, as God calls people out to do different things. So we think about Abram, right? And his name got changed to Abraham, right? To, to, okay, and then we think about Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and we think about um, Saul, and his name was changed to, right? And all these changes of names weren't just because God's like wasn't like, I don't like your name anymore, I'm going to give you a new one, right? But it had more to do with the mission that God was calling them to. It's more to describe them. And so each week as we go through and we look at a different aspect of this promised one, is this one that's coming, this God that is wrapped in flesh, we're going to look deeply at the name we're going to look at the name and help that guide us to see uh, what exactly it is that he is exchanging in our life. Now, I want to talk for the last couple of minutes we have today about this idea of the exchange, right? Because that's really what, what this whole time is about. It's not, just, um, it's not just a really cute Christmas series, but it's really a picture of what Jesus wants to do in each one of our lives, right? That's, the, that's where the rubber meets the road today is this idea of, of an exchange, right? We talked about this morning about how God is sending his Savior into the world to exchange the war that we all have living within us. Even if we're currently not living in a war state, within our hearts we all have a war that's going on, right, for our hearts. And he's coming to bring peace, right? 
peace between us and God to resolve that, that conflict that was there. He's coming to exchange that war for peace. And this idea of exchange is important. It's an important concept, right? In fact, Martin Luther, uh, one of the great reformers, long, long time ago, back in the 1500s, right? He called it the great exchange. And I want to read just an excerpt from um, Luther's uh, The Freedom of the Christian as he describes what this great exchange is in our lives. So I'm going to read this. Um, I know it's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's really important. And I think he does a great job of, ex- of helping us to see exactly what it was that Christ comes to exchange in our lives. It says this, Accordingly, the believing soul can boast of and glory in whatever Christ has as though it was its own. And whatever the soul has, Christ claims as his own. Let us compare these and we shall see inestimable benefits. Christ is full of grace, life, and salvation. That's what Christ brings for us. Right? He is full of grace, he's full of life, and full of salvation. The soul, the soul is full of sin and death and damnation. That's, that's the picture, right? That's the separation. That's, that's what's inside of each and every one of us. Now let faith come between them and sins. Death and damnation will be Christ's, while grace, life, and salvation will be the soul. It's this picture of this great exchange. Jesus took all all the sin and the brokenness and all that we deserved and he he took it upon himself in exchange he gives us his grace and his life and his salvation for if christ is a bridegroom he must take upon himself the things which are his brides and bestow upon her the things that are his what a beautiful picture of marriage right there right i take on the brokenness of of this one that I'm going to be covenanted together with, and I give them the best of myself, right? That's that's this picture. So if he gives her his body, his very self, how shall he not give all that is his? And if he takes the body of the bride, how shall he not take all that is hers? I love that analogy of the great exchange because that's what we're really talking about. When Jesus comes and, 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 and we come and we enter into a relationship with him, it's this picture of him taking all the garbage and all the junk and all the things that are messed up about us, and we give it to him, and in exchange, right, in exchange for that, we get his salvation, we get his grace, right? We get his life living in us. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake... He made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's the great exchange, right? Through his son Jesus, Jesus took on all of our brokenness and all of our mess. In exchange, we get the righteousness that belongs to him, the righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. That's what we're going to be talking about each week. And so as we conclude today... Um, as we conclude today, I want us to think about this, okay? we got a, a gift, right? A gift exchange. And each and every one of us, we have stuff in, in our box, right? This box is a representation of our lives, if you will, right? We all have things in our box. 
lot of these things are a lot of these things are, are brokenness and sin. A lot of these things are just untrue things that we believe about ourselves, right? That Christ has said something different. There's a lot of junk that we have in this box. And the picture of the exchange, the great exchange, is that we give this box to Jesus, and instead we get what's in his box, which we already know is salvation and life and righteousness, right? And so it's this exchanging of all of my garbage for what he has. My question for us today as we, as we kind of conclude and we think about our own lives specifically is what specifically in your box right now are you still holding on to? Like what is it maybe this Christmas season as we study through this passage about the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace? As we look at what he offers to us in each one of those names that describe him, what is it that we need to trade in? What junk do we have in our lives that we need to give to him? And for each one of us, this box is going to look very different, right? We all carry different things in our box. We don't all struggle with the same things. Praise the Lord, right? Like, we all struggled with the same things. We'd probably be in a really, really awful place. Um, but we all have different things. We all have different things we carry. And so maybe for some of us this morning, right, maybe for some of us, like, what we're carrying in here is our own sin and selfishness, Right? Like, we've never actually made that great exchange that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. We've never given it all over to Christ and in, and in turn received the eternal life that we can have from Him. And so for some of us, maybe we today, that, that, that move needs to be giving Him ourselves, right? Giving all of our selfishness and our sin. That selfishness and a sin is what separated us from God in the very beginning. And so maybe for some of us, we need to, to give that. Maybe that's the first step for some of us today. But I know for a lot of us in this room today, like, we've, we've done that, right? We put our hope and trust in Jesus, but yet we still carry some of these things. So maybe for some of us today, it's, it's anger or hatred, right? Maybe it's just a sense of anger when things don't go my way, right? I just turn to this emotion. I just take it out on whoever is around, right? And maybe I'm just holding on to all of this anger within, within me. And maybe today we just need to exchange that, right, for the love of Jesus, Right, the same the same Savior who literally gave His life for the ones that were defiling Him and calling Him names and spitting on Him, and He said, "Father, forgive them." Maybe maybe for us today, like we need to exchange this anger and hate for love and forgiveness. For some of us, and I've been clear, I, I'm in this camp. Some of us we struggle with worry, right? We, we we worry about things in life, and we just carry this incredible weight in our lives of the future and, and a lot of things are even out of our control but we continue to hold on to it like we're somehow in control of it maybe today we need to just exchange that for the peace of God right? the peace that as the Bible says the peace that passes all understanding we need to just give that to Jesus and say you know what Jesus I don't know how the future is going to turn out and I don't know how it's all going to work out but I know you and I can trust you and I'm going to put my trust in you and so I'm going to take on the peace that comes in knowing you and so maybe we're going to trade in worry for peace maybe for some of us it's pride and arrogance right like yeah on the outside we may come across as a pretty nice guy a pretty humble person but deep down inside we have this arrogance about us this pride that at the core we we really think that we're better than everybody else or that we think that we somehow are entitled to certain things right 
And maybe we need to trade that into the one who, as Paul said in, in, in Philippians 2, humbled himself, taking on the form of humanity, right? Maybe we need to, to get and exchange some of that humility and give up some of that pride and that arrogance that's going to separate us from God. Maybe that's what we need to do today. Maybe some of us, right, we need to trade in grumbling and complaining, right? Maybe our go-to and everything in life, like, like we're not angry, we're not worried, we're not even prideful, but man, we just complain about everything in the world, right? Weather's too hot, it's too cold, man, there's nothing right the government can do, there's nothing right in the world, we're just always grumbling and complaining. Maybe we need to trade that in for joy this morning. Some of us need to say, you know what, I know circumstances are not great, but instead of choosing to grumble, I'm going to take on the joy of Christ. Joy looks at the world and says, yeah, things are messed up, and I don't like the circumstances, but my joy is fixed on something greater than the moment and what I'm going through. Amen. So maybe some of us, we need to trade that in. And I don't know. I can't speak for what's in your box. I know what's in my box. If I'm real honest, I can say my box has got a lot of garbage in it. You know, it's a work in progress, but there's a combination of things in my box. Um, this is probably not a good representation. I probably need a bigger box to trade in, <laughs> right? Um, but I think that's the question I want us to walk away with today, to answer today. And this may not be a question we answer in this moment. Ross and Holly are going to come in a second. They're going to lead us in a song. What a beautiful name it is. As we think about the names of Jesus and, and the way that he can meet all of the things that we have and what he wants to exchange in our lives. Maybe we're not going to answer it just in that three to five minutes we have to sing together. Maybe you need to take that question, take it home with you today and really just chew on it between you and the Lord. What is it in here? that I need Jesus to, to take? What is it that I'm struggling with that I, I just need to give to him in exchange for all that he has for me? What's in your box today? And what do you need to do about it, right? Um, what do you need to do about it? If it's anger, like we need to take some steps toward in those moments, like just allowing Jesus to fill us in those moments and allow us to respond differently. If it's worry, right? And I can, I can testify to this this morning. It is so hard in that moment. But in that moment for us to just to think, you know what? I don't know how this is going to turn out. And I'm, I'm really, really scared of how it's going to turn out. But yet I trust Jesus more than I do my worry. Like maybe we need to actually start to put some of this into practice alongside of giving that. Maybe if it's pride and arrogance, we need to lay that down. If it's grumbling and complaining, we just... We just need to stop doing it. Put on the joy. Whatever it is, what do you need to do? Because the child that is born, the son that is given, the king that is coming can give you whatever you need. Right? That's, the, that's the beauty of the message today is that this child, this son, this king, he's the answer to whatever the problem is. Right? Jesus is always the answer. Right? Like whatever it is in life, he is always the answer. And so this morning... Can we just put our trust and hope in that?